Hi, and welcome to Three Worlds Podcast number four. And uh, today I'm going to talk about drums. Seems to be a suitable thing to talk about. First of all, I'd like to say thanks to everybody that's contacted me. It's really nice to know there's life out there. So uh, please continue to email me. My email address is nick at sacredhoop.org. And uh, you can visit the Sacred Hoop website, which is sacredhoop.org, surprisingly enough. And uh, you can visit my own website, which is nicholaswood.net. So uh, get in touch. be really nice to hear from you. And let me know whereabouts you are on this lovely planet of ours. Okay, drums. Well, I guess drums are pretty much synonymous with shamans and shamanism. Certainly in Central Asian shamanism, which is, of course, where the word shaman comes from in Siberia. So I'm going to talk about those. I'll talk, first of all, I think probably about my drums. That seems to be a good way of getting into it. I've been a drum maker for about 20 years, something thereabouts. My first ever drum that I made was uh, a little medieval drum. Uh, It was... uh, from a kit. I bought a, a, a drum kit, if you'll excuse the uh, the pun, um, which was uh, a copy of a 12th century or 13th century double-sided tabor. Uh, the two skins were roped together with hemp rope, and that was the tensioning. And I had great fun making that, and uh, I've still got it, and I still use it from time to time. It's a nice little drum. And then I kind of got involved in sort of shamanism properly, and I th- thought, well, I, I, I kind of got badgered into making drums. I didn't feel very confident. And uh, and Jan, my partner, and uh, some other people kind of said, yeah, you can do it. Go on. And then somebody gave me a, a magazine article about how to make drums. So I kind of thought, well, OK, I think I might be able to have a go at doing this. And uh, there wasn't anybody else around in the UK that was making the shamanic frame drums at that time. So uh, I started, and the, the way that I started was uh, I, I thought, well, I'd, I'd seen some of the Taos drums, which are carved from uh, cottonwood logs from Taos Pueblo in New Mexico. And uh, I thought, well, the easiest thing to do then is to make drums from carved out bits of tree. So I looked at my local paper and found somebody selling uh, firewood, um, slices of tree, and uh, I went and saw him, and, uh, and and I was as green as the wood because I said, "Is it uh, is it nice and seasoned?" And he said, "Oh yes, yes, nice and seasoned." So I thought, "Great!" And I bought half a dozen of these wonderful logs, which I can't remember what wood they were. Um, they might have been ash. I'm not sure about that. That was a long time ago, and they were about twelve to fifteen inches in diameter, roughly circular, and about three or four inches thick. And I spent ages with a hammer and chisel chiseling out the insides of these. And um, the first one split. So that was that was totally useless. Uh, and the second one was OK. And then the, the next difficult thing was finding skins, because it's incredibly difficult to find skins in the UK. We don't have any tanneries here now. All the the animals that are slaughtered, the skins, are sent across to Europe to be processed. We used to have tanneries just about in every sort of small town and big town and even large villages. 
but they've all gone. I think there's something like, I don't know, six or seven tanneries left in the whole of the country. So it was very hard to find skins. And eventually I managed to track down a place in a nearby town that imported skins. And they were water buffalo. And they were really thick. And it was very difficult to select the thin skins that were sort of thin enough to use. But we managed to sort them out in this great big factory. It was an awful place. It was a factory that made needles, and uh, and for some reason they had all these sort of pallets full of skin, and I, I don't know quite what they used the skin for, but it was a horrible place, and uh, I I got some skins, and they had to be soaked in in the bath for a long time because they were so thick, so I had to soak them overnight, and eventually I managed to make up a drum, and. Then I sold it. I actually sold this drum. And then the hoop started to shrink because it was starting to season because it wasn't at all seasoned. It was actually very, very wet and fresh. So as the, as the, uh, the hoop shrunk, you can imagine the skin got looser. So the person who I sold the drum to returned it to me and said, uh, excuse me, it doesn't work anymore. So I had to take the skin off and I had to reskin it. And I gave it back to them and it sounded nice again. And then about six or seven months later, they gave it me back again because it had shrunk even more. And uh, I reskinned it. And, and that was my first ever drum. And even after that, I still persevered and continued to make them. I must have been mad. Um, so I guess it's all right now because I haven't heard from that person in 20 years or perhaps they were so disgusted with it they didn't get back in touch with me. Who knows? Anyway, I soon realised that I had to have different hoops. So I found a, a place that made bespoke fitted kitchens and talked nicely to the cabinet maker there and he made me some drum hoops. And that was how I sort of first started to, to make them. And I guess probably... In the last 20 years, I've made probably close to 400 drums. I would think that would be a reasonable estimate. Might be a few less, somewhere between three and 400 drums. And what I do is I make a frame drum. Now, a frame drum is a drum that is made on a strip of wood. In other words, like a plank of wood that is bent in a circle and is covered generally on one end. So it's like a wide hoop three or four inches thick and perhaps 12, 15, 18, 20 inches in diameter with skin over one side of it. And the way that I've made drums is that I bring the skin in a lace or I tension the skin with a lace rather and I bring that lace all the way around the back of the drum lots of times. It's one continuous lace. Then I pull it tight and bind it in the form of a cross which is the thing that you hold at the back of the drum. You can see photos of this on my website. It's much easier to see a photo than it is to follow my description. Pictures paint a thousand words, as they say. So that's the sort of drum that I make. Um, it's loosely based on Native American hand drums. It's a little bit like Siberian drums, but Siberian drums tend to be rather different in that the way that they're held at the back is by means of either a wooden cross put into the hoop, a little bit like the Irish Baran or Bodrum. People pronounce it different ways. And sometimes a free-floating cross, which is attached to the hoop of the drum with chains or rope. 
and uh, that moves around. I personally find those drums quite difficult to play because they, they sort of don't have a, a solid thing to hold on to. You hold on to the cross and that's solid, but the cross moves within the drum because it's loose. And uh, I find that most disconcerting, but I guess people get used to it and maybe some of you have got drums like that. So a frame drum is generally round, of course, that's what we're used to, not always. Frame drums come from Central Asia, Siberia, as far south as Tibet and Nepal you get them, and North Africa. They are very much the archetypal sort of Arabic frame drum and they make that beautiful sort of sound that you hear in Arabic music. They were prevalent in medieval Europe too, uh, obviously not as shaman's drums, but uh, drums that were used for music. And uh, that's another side of the things that I work with, with drums. Not, not only do I have a lot of shamanic drums, but I've got a considerable number of Arabic drums, which I use for playing medieval music. Um, they're played with the hands. Now, shaman's drums tend to be played with sticks uh, of, of one description or another, and I'll talk about sticks a bit later on. The, uh, the Arabic frame drums, I'll just briefly talk about that playing technique. I learnt uh, medieval drumming from uh, a wonderful drummer called Jim Denley, who plays or played with the uh, medieval group Symphony. And uh, I'll play a little snippet of his playing in a moment or two. Jim plays both the round frame drums, which are called tar or bendir, and he also plays a square frame drum called a pandiro. Now, pandiros are very interesting drums. They're Spanish, um, although there are pictures of them in medieval illustrations from France. And they're square, flat, about an inch thick, and perhaps 12 to 14 inches square on, on each side. Skinned on both sides, they often have a bell in the middle of them. And I will play one for you. I've got one which I made years ago, which I used for my music. You can hear the bell rattling around inside it. The, uh, the skin is um, nailed to the, uh, the side of the frame. It looks a little bit like a picture frame in a way. It's just a square skin-covered box. And uh, what I tend to do is hold it at the bottom of the, uh, the one corner. If you can imagine that I'm holding it up so that there's a corner at the bottom and a corner at the top, I hold it in my right hand at the bottom corner and I play, I tap with my fingers that is actually holding it and I also use the other hand. So it's a mixture of two hands. So you get that sort of sound. Um, Depending on how you have it, the bell works. So this is, this is more with the bell. So uh, this is a little bit of Jim playing with the group Symphony. Symphony no longer exists, unfortunately. They, they disbanded, but I had the pleasure of jamming with them a few times and had some very interesting lessons from Jim, who I think is my favourite percussionist. This is Jim Denley playing percussion.
Okay, so let's talk about shaman's drums. Well, I'm going to talk about the archetypal frame drum, the, the sort of shaman's drum that you see in photographs of Siberian shamans. They are generally skinned on the one side. They're often very heavily covered with um, little objects, bits of metal, uh, and other sort of miscellaneous things on the back of them. They often have cloth streamers hanging from the back. They also quite often have sort of like spikes coming out of the side. If you've ever seen photographs of some Siberian shamans with their drums, you'll see these. Well, they are like spikes or almost like a mountain range. They sort of stick out almost like they remind me sometimes of, of the sort of uh, spiked dog collar that you get on sort of Tom and Jerry cartoons, you know. And they're underneath the skin, these spikes, and they call them resonators. They're little bits of wood which stick out from the hoop and the skin is stretched over them. And they also represent sacred mountains. And some of the drums have them all the way around and some of them have them at just one side or perhaps at the top of the drum. Now, at the back of the drum, the Siberian drums tend not to have a lace that goes all the way around the back of the drum, which forms a cross to hold, as I said a moment ago. And the way that they're laced onto the hoop is interesting because what they actually tend to do is stitch the skin on to the hoop. Now, if you imagine the skin is stretched across the front of the hoop and around the side of the hoop, and where the side turns around the back, there is a series of holes drilled into the hoop all the way around, and a lace or some form of thonging or, or thin cord is passed through that series of holes and through the skin, which fixes the skin to the hoop. And very often the skin goes down the inside of the drum a little way and the stitching goes through that there as well. So you have a sandwich. It's hard to imagine this perhaps from, uh, from saying it, but uh, you have a sandwich of the skin on the edge of the drum and then the hoop and then the skin that has come round the back of the hoop and just a little way onto the inside. And that's how they're tensioned. Obviously, the skin is put on wet. And some of these drums, then, the skin uh, that forms at the back of the drum has like a little kind of shelf or a little circular ridge that goes around on the inside of the hoop. And that can be beaded uh, when, the, uh, when the rawhide is wet. You can pass a beading needle through it or a leather needle or something like that and actually sew beads onto it in a circle. Um, I will put some photographs up on the website for this podcast. This podcast has its own dedicated website, which is threeworlds.co.uk. And uh, I will find some photographs and stick them up there because it's far easier to look at pictures. So that's how the skins are put onto these Siberian drums. And some of these drums can be absolutely enormous, uh, you know, three feet across and perhaps almost a foot deep. They're really big drums. Um, then on the inside of the drum, depending on the tradition and the culture that they come from, you have uh, a whole assortment of metal objects. There are uh, perhaps a metal cross that you hold in the middle, which is suspended by chains, like I said. Some of them have metal objects put all the way around the inside, which the, the shaman blacksmith would make and uh, from which the metal chains are suspended. I once um, 
had the opportunity to pick up a, a Nepalese shaman's drum, which was made like this, and it was covered in chain, and it weighed so much. It was very uncomfortable to hold because of the, of the weight of all this iron chain that was suspended and hanging from the inside and the outside edges of the drum frame. It was an enormous weight. So that's the, the sort of way that the drum is put together, and then it's decorated. Now, there's a lot of decoration on many Siberian shamans' drums and obviously Mongolian, the whole kind of Central Asian shamanic tradition. The outside of the drum is very often painted. Sometimes the inside of the drum skin is painted too. And the painting will depend generally on, on the vision of the shaman and also on the tradition of the shaman's culture. You may get map representations of the shaman's universe with images of the three worlds, or there may be images of uh, his spirit helpers, birds and animals. There may well be a central design, which is the central mountain or the world tree, the very center point of, of the world. Painting uh, may be very simple or it may be more complex. It's generally very stylized. You'll have kind of like little stick figures and uh, outline representations of uh, animals and birds. On the inside of the drum, you may get suspended from it a considerable number of small objects. These may well often be little weapons. You will have tiny little bows and arrows. You will have tiny swords, tiny spears. You will have coils of rope, perhaps. The weapons are obviously to shoot and defend against and attack hostile spirits. The ropes are to bind hostile spirits and possibly to bind spirits that are perhaps parts of the soul which the shaman has gone out to find and they want to keep and bring back safely to the sick person. Uh, you may get little bags with particular uh, sacred stones or other small objects put into them, suspended from it. You may often find that the wooden cross that the shaman holds is actually in the shape of either a bow and arrow, a bit like a crossbow, um, and that also actually represents a, a weapon, obviously. Or it may be the shape of a figure, which is the, generally the shaman's major helper spirit. And very often there will be a, a carved face at the top of the drum. You'll also find that there's often uh, ribbons and uh, uh, streamers of silk and, and various other things which hang from the centre point of the drum at the back and dangle quite a long way below. They're quite magnificent things, and uh, everything obviously has got a symbolic meaning, and they gradually build up as the shaman gains experience and, and power. Now, shaman may have two or three drums, and perhaps even more in their lifetime. They may graduate from uh, sort of basic drums, or a drum may get broken or worn out, or as they become initiated into different levels of their particular culture's shamanic practice, they may be given a different drum almost as a badge of rank so that they will have a particular drum for a particular scale of their achievement. In some shamanic practices, the first level of shamanism is actually to be a shaman without a drum and they will have a drumstick but no drum and they will shamanize with the drumstick and that becomes an important object in its own right. It's probably a good point to talk about uh, Siberian shaman's drumsticks because they're quite different to the sort of drumsticks that many of us are familiar with in the West. 
They're often called drum paddles. Now, they are flat. They look a little bit like a cricket bat. Another way of thinking of them is they're a little bit like a long wooden spoon with the spoon part being extended. Now, one side of these are covered in fur and the other side of them is uh, covered in, in leather generally and very often they have small metal hoops which are stuck into the back of these drum paddles from which bells are suspended and uh, they act as a rattle and they're used as rattles without the drum but also when the drum is being hit by them there is the rattling sound of the bells on the crossbeat of the drum so it's a sort of bang swish bang swish bang swish the swish being when the drumstick is moved back away from the drum and uh, the, the bells are sounding very often the end of the handle is decorated by streamers of cloth as well and may be carved in the shape of a horse's head. Well, I think I'll talk a little bit about the drums that I actually use now. I've got four which I use. Well, I've got three that I use and I've got an antique Nepalese shaman's drum which I use very occasionally. But to be honest, it's uh, more a decoration on the wall than anything else. So the three drums that I use... The one is a sort of uh, common or garden, everyday drum. It's one of the first ones that I made with the hoops from the cabinet maker. Uh, it's skinned in water buffalo and uh, it's painted on the whole of the face uh, in a sort of Tibetan cloud motif. And um, it's just a kind of fun drum that anybody can pick up and play. I use it uh, for lightweight things if I'm singing songs with a circle. Um, it's, you know, an easygoing, laid-back, sort of chilled-out kind of shamanic drum. It's not really used for big, heavy work, and uh, it's kind of playful. My main drum uh, is, uh, and it's on the floor by the side of me, so I'll, I'll pick it up and hold it while I'm actually talking. And you can hear bells because it's got a lot of bells hanging all over the back of the drum. So I'll talk to you about this drum. This drum was the last drum that I ever made that was skinned in water buffalo skin. And it started life about 15 or 16 years ago from a stone which I found on the altar to a sweat lodge. I ran a sweat lodge in the Black Mountains in Wales. And the day after the sweat, we were clearing up the site and on the altar of the sweat lodge, there was a little stone. Now, if you imagine a boiled egg that's been cut in half, this stone was like a boiled egg, except the white of the egg was black and the yolk of the egg was red. And it really felt like it needed to come home with me, so I took it home. And I sat really with that stone for about a year, not really knowing what to do with it, but it felt like it was something and it kept niggling at me. And I made a little bag for it and uh, I felt that the bag needed to be painted black and then I decorated it with red beadwork and it kind of niggled at me a little bit more and eventually I realised that it needed to be incorporated into a drum. And so I had a drum hoop which uh, somebody had made for me uh, which was made out of a solid piece of ash. It, well, uh, it was made out of a, a plank of ash that was bent round and it wasn't glued where it joined. It was laced 
together. The, the one end of the plank went across the other end of the plank and it, it was laced to form the hoop, laced with rawhide. And I felt very strongly that this needed to be sort of made as a drum for the stone. And so I made a drum out of that. Uh, it's not round, it's sort of vaguely egg-shaped, and it's certainly not flat, and the skin isn't very tight, so it doesn't have much of a good sound as drums go. And it's painted, it's entirely black, both inside the drum at the back and around the sides and across the front, except the centre of the front, which is red, so it mirrors the stone. I felt it was very much to do with crow, and it's got crow feathers put underneath the skin on the side of the hoop so that they're trapped forever in the fabric of the drum between the skin and the hoop. The back of the drum has got a cross which I hold, and the cross is decorated with a beautiful antique woven woolen Central Asian braid, which again is red and black, with a very small fleck of white in it. It's got red silk streamers hanging from it, which are Tibetan offering scarves, katas, bright red. It's got antique red brocade hanging from it, silk brocade streamers as well as the silk scarf. It's got six antique shaman's bells, which are about two inches long, made of, uh, of, of I guess, brass. Um, and they have quite a, quite a nice sound to them. And it's also got four modern shaman's bells, which are called tiger's bells or tiger bells. And uh, they are found from sort of Tibet right the way north to the top of Siberia. And you see them tied onto a lot of shaman's costumes and uh, tied onto shaman's drums as well. And they actually have a, a sort of embossed tiger's face on them. They're a particular sort of bell, which is very often associated with uh, shamanic objects. And uh, I rather like them. So I've got four of those tied on. And right at the very top of the drum, as I hold it, there is a 12th or 13th century uh, medieval bell from uh, England. So uh, it's nice to have that medieval energy in there too. Around the skin at the back of the drum, in a circle, is a snake from a Mongolian shaman's costume. Now, a lot of Mongolian and... Siberian shamans' costumes have representations of snakes attached to the back of them. Some of these are just flat strips of cloth. Others are actually sort of stuffed snakes, uh, where the cloth makes a tube and they're stuffed with wool. And that's what this is. It was given to me by somebody, and it's, it's quite old, and uh, is just a sort of, uh, a little bit like a kind of teddy bear snake, I guess, if you want to think of it in that way. Uh, and that goes about halfway round. It's about long enough to go halfway round the, the circumference of the drum. The drum has got uh, cowrie shells tied to it. Cowrie shells symbolise emptiness in uh, Tibetan Buddhism. And I felt that it was very nice to have that symbolism within the drum. It has some objects tied to it. It has the stone in its bag, which started the whole drum-making process off. It has a little silver hammer. Um, it's useful to have little tools like that in case you need them on the journey. And it has a Tibetan ritual flaying knife, a small silver representation of that, and also a small representation of a Tibetan purba, which is the ritual dagger used in Tibetan Buddhism. 
small weapons and small tools tied to the, to the drum so that it can be used in journeys. It also has a small silver bow and arrow for the same purpose. I was given instructions and it was made very much ceremonially and uh, it's the drum that I use for my practice and nobody else is allowed to play it. The other drum that's got the Tibetan clouds on, I don't mind if anybody picks that up and plays it, but this drum is just for me. I use it for singing, I use it for journeying. The uh, bells on it can be actually used like a rattle. You can actually shake the drum and uh, you can bang the drum obviously with the drumstick. So it's a, a multi-purpose musical instrument. I'm very fond of it. I've had it a long time and it gradually grows with things being tied to it. Jan says it's uh, Spirit's way of keeping me fit. It gets heavier and heavier. <laughs> She's probably right. So that's my main drum. And about a year ago, I made another drum, which is white and blue. It's very simple and quite opposite to this one. This one is quite a sort of heavy energy and is very much a sort of underworld drum. The, uh, the white and blue drum that I have is really a, an upper world sky drum and it has a whole different quality to it. That one's made more like a Siberian drum. The skin is laced onto the hoop, sewn on like I described earlier on, and it actually does have white and blue beadwork all the way around, which I stitched into the skin when it was still wet. And it has blue cloth streamers and silk streamers hanging from the back. And I made a drum paddle for that too, although that doesn't have any bells on it, and the drum doesn't either, but it does have a, a white fur-covered drum paddle. I'm really just getting into grips with that drum. It's, it's quite a new drum, and I haven't used it very often. It takes a long time to kind of get to know these things. I feel that you have to approach them quite sort of slowly and softly. So uh, I use the black drum more than anything else. There isn't really time to talk in this podcast about how I use the drums and what drums are used for, so I think I'd like to leave that till next time. I think I've probably said all I really need to say in this particular podcast about drums. It's a big subject, and I'm sure I'll come back to it at other times. And if any of you have got questions, I would so like to hear them, and uh, I'll try and answer them in, in subsequent podcasts. My email again is nick at sacredhoop.org. And uh, please visit the Sacred Hoop magazine website too and come and say hello to us and maybe download some of the, uh, the back issues that are available as free PDFs or uh, perhaps buy the latest issue as a PDF or subscribe. That would be really nice. And that's sacredhoop.org. You can visit my website, which is nicholaswood.net. And I will, like I said, stick some photographs of drums and bits and pieces on this podcast's website, which is threeworlds.co.uk and that's the number three rather than the word three by the way it's threeworlds.co.uk thanks for listening to this and i'll speak to you again in about a week's time okay bye bye